Welcome to the Poetic Resurrection Podcast, where we explore perceptions. How self-reflecting questions can give you a better understanding of self. I'm your host, Sonia Iris Lozada. Stay tuned. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Poetic Resurrection. And today I'm very excited to interview Ra Ariel. Ariel, yeah, that's right. Yeah, okay. <laughs> she is a British Nepali writer and poet currently living in Wales. And I'm really excited to interview her because she's 19 years old and we need young poets to be represented here. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I'm very excited. So tell me, how did you get into poetry? So I started my poetic journey, I'd say, about three years ago during lockdown. I'd always been writing ever since a young age, but it was mostly stories. And I don't know, maybe it's just the type of classes I've been in. But whenever the teacher mentioned poetry, there'd always like be a big groan. Everyone would be like, oh, not poetry. So <laughs> Like when I was exposed to it in school, it was always something that everybody hated and nobody wanted to study. So when I well, at GCSE level, when I was about 16, just before COVID and lockdown, we started studying poetry properly um, from like a literature perspective. And then I realized that I didn't find it as boring as everyone else. I actually found it really fun. So then when school shut down and obviously we were in lockdown, I just decided to start experimenting and writing my own poetry. And then it just kind of went from there. Lots of my poetry at the beginning, I'd say, was about nature, about like feelings of isolation and loneliness, that kind of thing. Because uh, where we live in Swansea, we're surrounded by lots of beautiful beaches. So even if we weren't allowed to go out and see people, we'd go for long walks along the coast. So that was oh, that's that's beautiful. And poetry is funny because here in L.A., because I live in Los Angeles, a lot of people write poetry here. Mm hmm. We know that it's subjective. So yeah. someone's going to hate it. Someone's going to love it. You know, going in, it's that. And I love that it's therapeutic. And it seems since you started in lockdown, it's it's your therapy. It was, yeah. I think from the, from the get-go, really, it was a way for me to express my emotions and just have fun as well. I think it's equal parts therapy, equal parts just a fun thing to do, just a hobby. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely couldn't live without it now. <laughs> no, exactly. And if you think about it, I mean, um, music lyrics are basically poetry. Mm -hmm. yeah. So there's so many avenues of it. Um, we have a lot of poetry readings here and there's a lot of poets. In fact, I'm going to an event this week that's all about poetry. And yeah. And uh, so how do your friends feel now that when they were going, ah, <laughs> poetry? <laughs> Um, I think maybe it's warmed on them a bit like they've started they started to see how much I love it and how it's an integral part of my life so I think they can appreciate it more now whereas before it was just kind of something everybody hated learning about they hated studying it but yeah I hope that I've sort of like shown my friends another side of it that it can be fun and that it can be really useful in your life as well. Granted when I studied poetry and regular literature it is boring. You're studying the classics like over and over again, and it's metered and it's structured. And modern poetry is almost like spoken word, or yeah. it, it's more of letting out what's real in someone's life. 
I read your poem, The Girl That I Am, The Girl That I Should Be. And I loved it. Can you read it for us? Of course, yep. Okay, let me just get it up. The girl that I am, the girl that I should be. She crouches on the floor wearing mud encrusted flip-flops. There is a red shawl wrapped tightly around her waist. It holds her brick phone, which has run out of battery. It holds her aching back like PVA glue wrapping around jigsaw pieces. She reminds herself that she is no one, just a village girl who cuts grass for the cow. Her mother milks it and loves it. Her father carries the milk on a motorcycle into town. This world may be alien to you, but it is almost home to me. But it nearly happened to me, but it also never did. And for that, I am grateful. She isn't scared of snakes winding up her legs. Her skin is slightly cracked and is darker than mine. Sun cream is too expensive and the village shops only sell packet noodles. She isn't afraid of cows or spiders or the dark. They stomp and crawl and engulf her life. They are a crucial part of her life. They are alien to me. So many sources of brutality, of nature and of rich cultural love surround her, like her red shawl which is split at the seams. Her grandmother owns the other half. My grandmother, who cries to me on the phone. My grandmother, who I hope is hanging on, like crimson threads swaying in the wind, oblivious to snakes and cows and spiders in the dark. That's really beautiful. I like that you brought your grandmother into it. And I love the red shawl split at the seams. The crimson threads are relating to the red shawl. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Why the red shawl? Why red? Um, I was actually getting a bit emotional when I was reading the end bit there about my grandmother because she sadly passed away just over a year ago. I'm so So, sorry. um, I wrote this about her and I always had... I always had a very close but strange relationship to my grandmother because obviously we live here and most of my family live in Nepal. So I didn't get to spend as much time with her as I would have hoped to. And also she was illiterate. So just the fact of me being a poet and having my works published and then having grandmother that's illiterate, I always found it so fascinating that like just in such a small amount of time, like generations can be so educated and they can go so far. I think she actually got when she was about 12 so her life has been was so so different to mine and I always like to bring her like her story and her journey into my poetry because I feel like it was so important to me but yeah I always she had this red shawl or she used to give us bits of cloth um from like her old clothes sometime uh, sometimes for luggage tags so that we could recognize our luggage in the airport so that's kind of the imagery that reminds me of her her oh. red shawl that is so beautiful. I, you know, when you lose a parent or a grandparent, it's, it, it's, it's another part of life that, that we live, but it's also gone. It is. Yes. yes. And you never realize that it'll happen until it's happened. Even though, you know, it will, it's not like, you know, it's always a shock. Yes. And you stay in disbelief for a while. You do. So are yeah. they really gone? Even though you went to a funeral or a wake or whatever your belief system is. Mm-hmm. It's still, and you think about them because I lost my mother, so I know what you know that's like. You just think of them all the time. When you go back to Nepal, and how often do you go back? I know you just said that you don't go back often, but when yeah, she was Nepal. around, uh, yeah, we we used to go back every two years, but then because of COVID, it was five years. But we we only went back recently, about a month ago. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah, what's going on in Nepal? Anything that you are going um, to write about or? <laughs> probably, yeah. I wrote quite a bit when I was there. I, I like lots of the imagery and things that I write are 
reflect where I am so here I use lots of metaphors about the sea or like like flower nature you know like home like structural things but then in Nepal it was completely different I was writing about like the towering tall buildings like the sweltering heat the crazy traffic I just love how sort of the images I see they just become my poetic vocabulary I found that really interesting and I was writing a lot about the food there because it just tastes so much better better there's yeah. nothing like getting authentic food where you're going. Really isn't. <laughs> yeah. So tell me, how did you get your publisher? Because you're with Gen Z, correct? Yeah, I'm with Gen Z. Um, it's a bit of an unusual story, really. I saw one of my friends had been published in a magazine called Gen Z Magazine. So I was searching up Gen Z Magazine or something to find her work. And then I saw the publishers page, which was completely unrelated. Um, and then I sort of checked them out. And I was 16 at the time, so I just started writing poetry. This was in lockdown. And I had a bunch of poems that I was like, yeah, these are about themes that are important to me. Mm -hmm. uh, I'd written some about Black Lives Matter movement, racism, and just like my experience of lockdown, I guess, as a 16 year old, just through my poetry. And then I was like, it would be really cool if somebody read these and then they thought that they were sort of like of value as well. Because, you know, sometimes when you write things, obviously it's important to you, but then you never know, like, because it's so subjective, if other people will think it's good as well. So, yeah, I just kind of send them the manuscript. I didn't I didn't tell my parents because I didn't want them to be expectant for something like I didn't want to make a big deal out of it I was like I'm only 16 there's no way they're gonna think this poetry is good enough but then yeah I was lucky enough for them to say um send us the full manuscript and then yeah it got published it was a really big surprise to be honest I never expected it that's beautiful because getting published is a big deal yeah it's a very big deal and so then you were 17 by the time the book came out mm -hmm. yeah that's right I was 17 now that they edited how much change did they do from the original manuscript yeah so something I really love about my publishers is that they're not pushy about the changes they're very suggestive and if they do make an edit or like suggest an edit they'll explain why mm -hmm. so uh, my editors are really good I had a, a couple of editors and some edits I was like yeah I think that really does enhance the poem but then also I felt completely comfortable to say like no there's a reason behind this or I just prefer it the way I wrote it so I wouldn't say that there were too many edits to it if there were edits it was something small like punctuation or like my grammar in some areas but for the whole I'd say like 95% of it is as I wrote it. So that's really it. good that's really good because yeah. this is a beautiful poem it says that there's, there's a world that's alien to you. Mm -hmm. So how alien, is it like a cultural shock and then you just have to get used to it once you're there? I think it is, yeah. So me and my sister, we were both born here. You can probably tell from my accent, we're completely, completely British Nepali in that sense. So whenever we go back home, it's, it's a really odd feeling. Like there's a conflict where it's like, so our parents are from here, this is their home. So in a sense, it's our home too but we don't go often enough for it to for us to really be at ease there unless we live there for a while. So uh, last time when we went, we went for about a month. Towards the end of it, um, like the language was coming back to me because obviously it's our mother tongue and I was feeling really comfortable speaking to everyone. It was starting to feel like home and then suddenly we're back on the plane here. So that's why it's alien in a sense. It's just we have to get used to that and then we come back here and it's the culture shocks, like you said. Yes, it is a culture shock because the same thing happens to me when I go home. Yeah, I'm going all over your poem here. That's she fine. crouches on the floor wearing mud encrusted flip flops. Why are they mud encrusted? 
So this image was um, basically in Nepal, we have a big farm and my aunts will go out and cut grass for the cows or the buffaloes. And if it was here, you know, you'd be wearing appropriate footwear, like farmers would wear wellies. Or if you were hiking up into the mountains or in the hills, you'd be wearing hiking boots, backpack, the whole thing. But in Nepal, it's just flip flops or just like the most basic plastic shoes. Their legs will be like scratched with nettles, whatever. They won't care. It's just a part of their life. And I think that's something I really appreciate about Nepal, like the simplicity of it and then just the natural connection between people and nature. I really like it. So that's why I wrote about the mud encrusted flip flops, because it's almost as if like nature and necessity is like melded together and it's just a part of life there, which I found really cool. I think that's beautiful because now I think as people and i think it's happening all over the world we're going to that simplicity mm-hmm. we got unattached by material things i think mm-hmm. and comfort but they really don't give us comfort no no right. yeah it just is okay for example if you have a lot of clothes or a lot of shoes or like you just said they have only flip-flops or some kind of other basic shoe you don't have to think about it. You don't have to clean a bunch of shoes. You don't have to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Life is simple. <laughs> yeah. And I and I think it makes, if life is simple, we spend more time with the people we love instead of. Yeah, I think you are right. A huge part of Nepal when we go back home is just seeing everybody catching up on, you know, all those lost years where we've been, where we've been away. And it is really nice. I'd say most of the time when we were in Nepal, we weren't even seeing people. We were just in taxis between seeing people. It'd be like a two-hour drive this way and then back to somebody else's house for the night. It was just constant back and forth. But yeah, it's really nice. I've written so many poems about cramped taxis. You wouldn't believe. Well, that is a a whole theme right there. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Because I, you know. And humid and the AC never works. (laughs) But think of it because you're not only writing poetry, which you feel and you're attached to, you're also letting us see what it's like to be there. Because I've never been to Nepal. So reading something like that was like, oh, this is something I should be aware of. Or this is this is how life is there. And it's some and it's so much simpler. Yeah. Than um, than I Western life. It is, yeah. I think, yeah, like you said, the culture shock, I guess, but from being here and having everything at our disposal, at our fingertips, you can literally buy anything, it'll arrive by the next day. And then being there where, so my dad moved here when he was 11 on a scholarship. I think he said he used to take two months for his letters to his mom, to my grandmother to arrive in Nepal. So two months between correspondence. Whereas here, I was video calling my friends from that same house instantly and showing them around, giving them tours. So it just shows how much has changed. It's changed a lot. And it does. Um, I remember when you had to wait mm-hmm. for snail mail yeah. and then emails came in and, you know, it's it has made our life easier in terms of communications. And it's weird. I always find that nature works in a way that prepares us for the future. If we didn't have email or phone or anything like that during a pandemic like they did in the first one, you know, back in 1918. Yeah. It's wow. That was really hard. You know, it would be hard to contact yeah, people. It would be very difficult. Yeah. You probably would have gotten more writing done because. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Spending less time wasted just on social media. Probably yeah, <laughs> exactly. So now when you go there, 
It says that she isn't scared of snakes winding up her legs. Has that happened? Uh, It hasn't, but I do have a very vivid memory of when I was maybe about 11 years old, me and my cousin were walking around the village, which is basically just a big farm. It's really nice because every house there, there's somebody who's related to us. So like, it's a big village of our family, basically. It's lovely. Mm -hmm. You know that you're safe. You know that people will invite you in, give you food and things like that. It's just so completely different to our lives here. But anyway, we were walking along this like, this dirt road and then there was this big black snake and he just un- unflinchingly he didn't even think just by instinct grabbed a rock and just hit it with the rock and I was just there petrified it was the first time I'd seen a snake in my life and bam it was just it was dead I couldn't believe it I think he was about five or six years older than me at the time so yeah now I was- did. Uh-huh. he didn't let me develop a fear of snakes he was just killing them straight away Oh, so were they poisonous? Because I, I usually don't. Uh, we have snakes here, but we have rattlesnakes too. So yeah, you know. Honestly, but... so I was, I was very young. I just remember him killing it, and then I was like, okay, at least I don't need to worry about it now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have another poem that you would like to read us? That you I'm feel sure comfortable? Yeah, I'll have a little look. Sorry, it might take me a while. Oh, that's okay. Do you have your poetry on your phone? Yeah, I do. I put it in my notebook and then I type it up because I always feel like it's easier to go with the flow of like actually writing makes me feel better. Yeah. I'll try and find one I've written about Nepal. Okay. Okay. Got one here. It's called How Is My Life Going? And then in brackets, Nepal edition. Well, I've been eating pomegranate and juggling sweet, solid oranges in my sun-browned palms. I've been wearing a pink mask and sunglasses from H&M and sitting in squashed taxis, smiling apologetically as the taxi driver, as the dusty sunlight pours through ancient windows and the AC struggles to soothe us. I've shrugged off the trauma of the sun-bleached buildings and closed curtain rooms with the ease of dropping a split shawl in a ditch. I've grown as a person and not looked back. I've been speaking my mother tongue and felt it melt in my mouth with the same familiarity as a cherished childhood chocolate. I have not missed the boring buildings and blazing skyline and pollution-free pavements of the other place, my birthplace. I have not even missed its erratic storms of slashing rain or still serene sunlight. I have not missed the damp beaches crowned by moody grey seas or the dank dog smell or even the pulsating sighs of my memory foam pillow. I've been content and filled to the brim with love and laughter and the tangy taste of mango otar. I've settled into the routine of early nights and loud, vibrant, urgent mornings. I've looked into the eyes of monkeys and destitute street children and howling puppies and felt their pain. I've heard the whispers of gods that are my culture, yet foreign to my memories, and offered them blessings on a colour-spattered shrine. I've embraced the bright tiled balconies and wheezing dust and toilet paperless public toilets and gold bangle clad shopkeepers with silky red hair. I felt at home here and for that I am grateful. That's beautiful. I like the part about the children. That must be hard to see. It is very hard to see the amount of times like I've seen there's always big families or like a mother with a child and it just makes me so upset because obviously you don't see poverty to that extent in your everyday life here it's more it's more like shielded and covered and hidden but whereas in Nepal it's just such a big burst and it just really made my eyes open and made me feel so privileged and so lucky but yeah yeah. I saw 
Yeah, it, it's I once saw an episode. No, well, it was on Facebook, and it was a guy that recorded and this woman, and it was in India or Nepal. I couldn't remember. Mm-hmm. And she's like 90 and she's still trying to sell stuff just to survive. And it it broke my heart to see that extent of poverty. And this mm-hmm. guy gave her a lot of money and she was like so grateful because, I mean, it's, it's like I when I see stuff like that, I, I wish I could help them. Is Did you feel a sense of you were responsible and you wanted to maybe do something for them or yeah, I really did. A question I get asked a lot when I go back home is, um, oh, will you live here in the future? That's what my family asks me a lot. And I say, yeah, maybe I will. But I think if I did live in Nepal, I wouldn't be able to just do like a typical nine to five. I wouldn't be able to just work to make money for myself. I feel like I'd want to do something for the country or for the people of the country, if you know what I mean. I do feel like a sense of like I owe them something in that way that I've been I've had the privilege to be grown up here be educated here I've had so many more opportunities than girls my age in Nepal so I feel like if I went back I would try and give give back to the people yeah to me it's very important to have hope Mm -hmm. and you know that that's why poetry is big here because during a, a difficult time people went to that because it gave them hope it was a way of therapy so something like a center would you think of doing something like that to train people possibly yeah I think something I'd be really passionate about if I went and lived in Nepal is probably girls and like women's education and sort of like pushing them into education as opposed to marriage which has been the traditional route to you know being able to be financially stable I'd probably advocate for that so just sort of like girls women's rights linking it to education and then slowly after you're educated and you can sort of fend for yourself as it were then I suppose training people up showing showing them the possibilities of poetry but I think something that I realized when I went to Nepal was that my poetry is a privilege it's something that I can do because I have the free time to do it because I'm not out on the street selling food or whatever to make a living or in the fields like my aunts are cutting grass or you know tending to the farm and looking after things it's because I have the time to. We forget how much we actually have Mm -hmm. and you don't realize it until you see someone that is not only content with their life but they're actually happy and you kind of like wow I have more than you and you're happier than me it's like what's the secret yeah Yeah. I know what you mean (laughs) so is there anything that you would like to tell the audience about anything more about yourself about your poetry about your books or anything like that so I've currently got, I've got Encapsulated Emotions out, which was the first one I published when I was 16, 17 years old. And then after that, I went on to publish a chat book called The Wishing Well. So if anyone's interested in my writing, you can check that one out. And then another poetry book, which I'm very proud of, will be out soon called Sunset Hues. And that one's got a lot more themes, I'd say, about sort of my experiences being British Nepali and juggling these two cultures and I think the confusions that come with it but also the beauty of it because it's a lot of power to hold to be able to sort of dibble and dabble between the cultures do one festival that you really like and then celebrate another and just I think it's a privilege as well which sometimes I've forgotten in the past because it's confusing and frustrating at times but it is definitely a privilege and it's something I'm very proud of. I think it's beautiful to be multicultural. Mm-hmm. But it does have its 
uh, stigmas because it's you have to learn how to be in one and learn how to be in another. And yeah. yet, I don't know if you've written anything about this because I'm also multicultural, is you have to find a balance. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, where do I belong? Because I'm yeah. both and yet I'm not one. Mm -hmm. How I do you feel about how do you feel about something like that? I mean, have you been through uh, something like that? Yeah, I, I'd agree. It is sometimes very difficult and confusing and something I feel sometimes is if I'm in Nepal I feel like maybe I'm too British and then when I'm back here some of my thoughts are too Nepali so it's just very confusing but I think it's something that is sort of like an internal conflict you can work it out resolve it and the thing that has really helped me obviously is my poetry just getting it all down on the page does help me if it feels like a rational way to cope with it yeah <laughs> very creative not that rational yes you know what the same thing it's poetry was a thing for me where do you fit yeah it is difficult on that now do you have a website that people can go to um I'm mostly active on Instagram so if anyone wants to reach out to me or I post a lot of content and new poems on there that's encapsulated underscore emotions so same title as my Facebook oh perfect is there anything else that you would like to tell us about yourself? We have a few minutes before we... Uh... Um, I think just maybe going back to, you know, what we said about people being less privileged than us. I do have a little thing that happened to me in Nepal, Ooh. which was uh, when we were in the village, these two men came up right up the hill. We live right at the top of this really, really big hill. I don't even know how they walked it. They were pushing these bikes. And what they do for a living is they collect other people's cardboard or papers or like plastic tubs to mm -hmm. to recycle. So they they sell them and maybe get like, I don't know, not not enough money. They don't get a lot of money, but they make their living from going into villages like mine and asking people, do you have anything you need to recycle? Can we take it? So yeah, they, they brought those in. They were wearing flip-flops as well. And then later that day, me and my family went to a restaurant and it rained really, really heavily. And while I was sitting at that restaurant eating my, my food, all I could think about was them pushing their bikes up the hill, like in the rain with their flip-flops on. I, literally, I don't think my food even digested properly. I was getting really upset and waked up about it. And it was, it was quite early on in the trip as well. So I was still dealing with the culture shocks. And then just that image of them and just knowing that they were so far away, I don't know where their home was, where they'd come from, if they'd, you know, come from India into Nepal, but I was just wondering, like, where are they? Like, are they safe? Are they warm? Are they dry? Just knowing that I was. And at the same time, you can look at it and say, they don't know another life. Mm -hmm. So yeah. for us, we see, you know, we know another life. Yeah. And... But at the same time, it, it's I, I am torn between that because it's like I find them much happier, mm -hmm. but I also it, it breaks my heart that they have to work so hard just to make a living. It's like they're <laughs> always in starvation mode, uh -huh. you know, yeah. survival mode, not starvation mode. Yeah, completely. And that's what what you just said is what my mom said, that they don't know another life. This is their way of living. This is the way it's always been. So they don't really realize that they're missing out. That's what she said to try and calm me down and make me feel a bit better. Yeah, because it is true. They don't they don't know. Yeah. And I think that once people are introduced to it, then they know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. but it is um, there are cultural differences where the woman stays at home and takes care of the kids. And that's I would think it's mainly most of the world. 
It's only the major cities that Mm -hmm. have a difference of opinion when it comes to that. Definitely. Do you think that if you went back and you started that women's rights thing, how do you think that that would balance off with the culture? Just as a last question. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's fine. Um, Yeah, I think it's similar to what you just said. A lot of countries in the world, it's that the woman stays home is the homemaker, whereas the the man is the breadwinner. And it that is the exact same in Nepal. I think it would be it wouldn't be a new idea for people my generation. They realize from maybe Western influence or just the fact that the culture is developing a little bit, it's starting to get a bit more modern. But I think the older generation, people sort of like my grandparents' age, it would definitely be very odd to them. I think the main thing they would ask is just why, you know, because the traditions and the cultures have been like that for so long. Maybe they don't see anything wrong with it. But at the end of the day, it's just giving people the freedom to do whatever they want. If they want to stay at home, then that's fine. It's just giving people the choice, I'd say. Yes. That's true. My many people like to stay home. There are men that likes to to stay home and want to be, you know, let the woman be the breadwinner. Yeah, I know a few like that. And mm-hmm. you know, why can't they? Why can't they reverse roles? Yeah. But I wanted to thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, thank you. You are lovely, and I would love to have you back one day to just maybe after you your next book comes out or something. Yeah. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. It was a great conversation. Thank you for listening to the Poetic Resurrection podcast. Available on Apple iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, and many other podcast platforms. Please visit us and subscribe to our newsletter at PoeticResurrection.com for the latest information and updates.